Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. I am really excited today to be joined by Dr. Evelyn Johnson-Taylor, who is a contributing author to the She Writes for Him Black Voices of Wisdom book that has just been released. This book, as I have been telling you, is filled with powerful stories, which are all valuable and need to be spoken and written for our society, our world today. Friends, this is a podcast, the series that we're doing, which is six individuals, women that I've been interviewing of Black Voices of Wisdom. This is the episodes that you need to share with your friends and your family because their messages need to be heard by all. I am so honored to be doing these interviews and excited for our conversation today. So Evelyn, welcome to the Fully Restored podcast. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for allowing me to spend this time with you. Oh, I'm excited about our time and honored to have just a little bit of time where we're virtually sitting down with one another. So Evelyn, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do, and your family? Sure. I want to start by saying that I grew up in a Christian home. Both my parents were in ministry. My father was was a vice bishop and my mother was what we refer to in the Black church as a first lady. So when I married my husband, Scott, who was studying to be a minister, it seemed like a normal progression for me to marry a pastor. That, that was the life I knew. And so after a year or so of marriage, he felt God calling him to start a church. So we did. And as you can imagine, we got really busy real fast. By the time we were married for three years, we had two daughters and a growing ministry. I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband was bivocational. He actually worked full-time as an engineer along with pastoring. So a lot of the day-to-day tasks of the church, administrative things, visitation, serving communion to the sick and shut in and things like that, I did because he was at work during the day. So our daughters, they were ministry babies. They followed me around to do those things. So while I was home with them, I enrolled in seminary and began to work more closely with my husband as a co-pastor, leading women's ministries, and then later on writing books, dealing with women's issues, speaking to women's groups and things of that nature. And then fast forward several years later, my husband is now with the Lord. Our daughters are all grown up, but I continue my work in ministry as a certified writer, speaker, coach, a theology professor, a mentor, an elder at my church, all in an effort to help others achieve their goals. Wow, what a life you have lived. My goodness. I didn't realize all of that history there of the work that you and your husband have done. And I'm sorry that he has passed away, but we know he is with Jesus, right? How long ago did he pass away? Almost three years ago now. Okay. Yeah. But that probably feels like just yesterday. 
Well, it does. And I was thinking about it this morning because he was such an advocate for all that I do, always cheered me on. So I think about him every day. Yeah. Yeah. He's cheering you on. <laughs> you just can't hear it, but he's like, he's interceding for you, I imagine. Oh, well, Dr. Evelyn, could you share with us about your fully restored story? Well, my husband, Scott, as I said, he's been with the Lord now for about three years. And at the age of 58, the Lord called him home. He had been sick for a number of years and I was his caregiver. And just that whole process of long-term caregiving is challenging. And anyone who's had that experience understands what I'm talking about. And it was difficult for me every day watching him struggle and pain day after day. And then when he went home to be with the Lord, I felt a deep sense of loss. And still, as I said, I have my moments. And as a Christian, I think, I really think sometimes we put unnecessary pressures on ourselves. And people would say things to me like, he's in a better place, or he's no longer in pain, or you'll see him again. Or, and some people would even say, well, he was sick for a long time. You knew he wasn't getting any better. And I think, I think people, they just want you to get over it. They want you to move on. They want to make sure you're okay. I'm sure they have good intentions. And while I agree with everything that they were saying, and everything they were saying was certainly true, and I'm sure they meant it in an effort to comfort me. But in truth, Kristen, the grief that I experienced, it wasn't about him because he was okay where he was. He was with the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. But my grief was about what I had lost yeah. and what those changes meant to my life, not knowing what my life would be like without him. And I was his caregiver for 10 years. He was sick. And when he passed away, I not only lost a husband, but I lost my job. I lost the reason I got out of bed in the morning. So I had to take a step back and ask myself, you know, what do I do now? And it was important to me that I experienced it, that I felt the loss, that I just sat in it for a moment. And it was important to me that I go through the process and kind of get some clarity about what was happening and what that meant and what I was to learn from it was also important because I just believe that God would use that as he does everything in my life and in the lives of his children to help other people. So if I was to help someone else, then I had to understand and get some clarity and understand the process of grief and what that was like for a widow being left behind and what she could do to be able to navigate the new season of life. And so now I'm in a new season of life and ministry without my husband, uh, still have moments, as I said, but it all helped me to be able to encourage and be supportive and to motivate others who may have, have the same experience. And what I came to understand was that Scott, he had fulfilled his purpose as my husband, as a father to our children, as a pastor and as a believer, but I was still here. And that God had still had plans for me and that my journey was not over, that I still had to walk it out day by day. And that on that day in the hospital room, almost three years ago, a chapter ended, but my story didn't end. And the most amazing thing began to happen that in the middle of all of those challenges of dealing with loss 
it seemed like widows were popping up around me everywhere. And at six months, all of a sudden, I became the veteran widow in my circle. And I knew in those moments that God, he would use me to help other women, to encourage them and to equip them and to empower them and to comfort them during that time. And I didn't say things like, he's in a better place. But I would say things to them like, I know it's hard, but look at me, I'm still standing and you can too. And that was encouraging to them just to know that they knew somebody who understood what they were experiencing. And the scripture tells us, you know, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And certainly I understand that and and receive that. And that was comforting to me. When a widow comes to me, I can tell her I know the process and I can tell her I understand because I've been there and I can pray with her because certainly we need prayer. But I can also say to her, you know, let's meet for lunch or let's have dinner together because I understand what it's like to be eating dinner alone or coming home to an empty house at night so I can help her in more practical ways. And for that, I'm grateful to have that opportunity to do that for them. Amen. As you were talking and sharing your story, one of the things that in the United States, we struggle with grieving and we struggle with letting other people grieve. I guess I should say it that way. We want it to happen quickly. So when it doesn't happen quickly, there are comments, we're uncomfortable with it. You know, there's only a small amount of time that you get off of work. There's only a small amount of time. And really, we need to learn to let people grieve and let them go through that process. And and if it takes however long it takes them, it takes them. You know, there is a, as a counselor, there's this, I'm a counselor, and as there's this thing called complicated grief and and where we can get stuck in one spot of the grief process. And that's where somebody, an individual needs help, but you're not stuck at six months. You're not stuck at one year. You're not stuck at two or three. You know, it takes a couple of years to go through the stages of grief. It's not something that in six months, oh, you're not over that yet. And I I love how you explained that he fulfilled his purpose here on earth. He fulfilled his purpose as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. And as you were sharing and how God is turned around and is using your life to minister to others, the truth is God uses us in those places of our deepest pain as a place for ministry. True, true, true. So true. And I love what you're saying about how people are uncomfortable with grief. That was something that I noticed right away. And I had dealt as a pastor, pastor's wife, we had dealt with grief on so many levels, but you don't really take a close look at it until this affects you personally. Yeah. And when I started to express sometimes to people how I was feeling, and I could tell that they were uncomfortable. So you learn real quick who you can talk to and who you can't talk to. And I even, I did grief counseling. And I know some people, they go, why? Why did you need that? But to me, it was important that I understood what was happening. And the grief counseling helped me so much too, because you wanted, for me, I wanted to be sure, like you were saying, the complicated grief. 
I wanted to make sure that I was in the right place, you know, in the right times and that I wasn't getting stuck. So the counselor was able to help me understand, just as you said, six months is not enough time. A year is not enough time. Year two sometimes is more difficult than year one. And all of this is a normal part of grief. You know, just embrace it and deal with it and go through it and walk through it. And you'll be a lot healthier for that in the long run. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And and I really believe that there's somebody listening right now that needs to hear that, whatever stage in their grieving process that they're in. And then to know that there actually is something called complicated grief, where that's where, you know, going to a counselor and the thing about a counselor or a support group, because support groups help as well, is that they're not emotionally attached. So you can say whatever. And they're not going to judge or have their own emotional reactions. And so it's a safe place. And, and sometimes we just need that place where we can process and say whatever. And we know that we don't have to worry about their reaction. We can just say what we're feeling, what we're struggling with. And all those things are really important. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, your chapter in this book, I'm switching gears here now is filled with so much wisdom and discernment on parenting, specifically as a Black woman parenting her children. And I want to read a section and would love to have you expand that on the other side. It was our job as parents to affirm their differences made them beautiful, that God's creativity and creation was something to be embraced and admired. It was vital that we affirm from the beginning that their uniqueness expresses God's great love and that he didn't make a mistake. Their skin tone was intentional. We taught them, even if you are the only black person in a room, don't make yourself small or give your voice to anyone else. We wanted our daughters to see the different colors of people and be confident in who God created them to be. Could you share with us, kind of expand that a little more? Because that was so powerful, those words. Yes. And when I wrote that chapter, I wrote it from a mother's perspective. Although my husband was very instrumental in raising our daughters, but I wrote it from a mother's perspective. And especially with daughters, you know, having been a Black daughter or knowing what was ahead for them. So it was important to me that from a very young age, and I share this with mothers often to affirm your children, you know, tell them that they are powerful, that they can do anything that they set their minds to. Encourage them to work hard, to be better than what they think they can do. Because certainly as they grow up, the world is going to present them with challenges. And if they don't have a firm foundation to stand on, then sometimes they can be shaky. And I do believe, strongly believe that for any, especially our little girls, race aside for our little girls, it's so important that we be intentional about affirming them. And even when we hear them say something that's negative about themselves, then begin to declare something to counteract that negative talk. Because if we can build confidence in them when they're young, then we can ward off so many of the challenges that they face later in life that stem from low self-esteem. So it's so important just to be able to affirm them and let them know that they are valuable. 
and that they begin to identify themselves based on who God says they are and not who people say they are. I mean, my daughters, they were told by other Black peers, you sound white because they pronounce words correctly. Then they were told by their white peers called Oreos. But we told them, you don't sound white. You sound like your parents taught you to speak. So be comfortable with who you are and don't feel like you have to fit into any mold. We constantly affirm them. Don't feel like you have to fit anybody's else expectations. Be who you are. Be who God created you to be and be happy for who you are and shine where you are. And people will be attracted to you because of the confidence that you have. Don't feel like you have to go over to their side, but you stand firm on who you are. And if they want to know more about you, then they come to you. That is so good. I just appreciate your wisdom, you know, affirming and counter their negative talk. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you see these videos of there's one little girl that I'm thinking of as you're talking, well, probably two of them, where their parents, you know, are doing their hair or they're in front of a mirror in the bathroom and they're giving these, you know, these are little kids like five, six, seven, eight. They're standing in front of the mirror, giving themselves that positive input, affirming and really you know, we, we all love that. We see the videos. We're like, oh, that's so cute. But that's the truth. We need to teach our children, boys and girls, you know, we need to teach them both to see the positive. You know, if I had a group of women, if we were all together in a room right now and I asked, tell me five positive things about yourself, 90% of the women in that room would struggle to come up with five. Yes. And if I said, now tell me five negative things about yourself, they're going to give me 10 or 20. Right. And they're not going to have any problem with it. And so that is so important to teach our children to not stop who they are based on other people's words. Right. So important. And we, my husband and I, and it wasn't intentional, but just because of the kind of work that he did and the lifestyle that we sought. Most of the communities that we lived in were our daughters. They did not see people who looked like them. And of course, they were in Christian, private Christian schools. So it was the same thing there. So it was important in our home that we created a safe place for them where they could tell us things and let us know what they were feeling and what was happening and know that anything that they told us, that we would look into it, that we wouldn't dismiss it, but that we would look into it and encourage them to be active in, in clubs and things at school. And sometimes, you know, they would get overlooked for things and they would tell us and we would want to know why. Not with an attitude, but just to understand because we wanted them to know that they were valuable and that just as their parents valued them, that we wanted them to be valued, the, the skills and the gifts that they had, we wanted those to be acknowledged and valued by others as well. So that was important to us. And then we were intentional too, Kristen, about exposing them to things that were important to us as a family and cultural things that we wanted them to be aware of. So we were intentional about exposing them to those things as well. And it took extra effort sometimes, you know, depending on where we were living, but it was worth it because children, I believe they're an investment. And if you invest quality time in them, 
then the payoff is good. But if we sometimes neglect and don't invest in them, then the return that we get represents what we invested. And I'm not saying that every child is going to turn out good or every child's not going to have mistakes or anything of that nature. And certainly my children are not perfect. But as parents, I feel like we did what we could do and we gave them the best of what we had to offer. And of course, we prayed, we started praying for them even before they were born, before they were conceived. We prayed that any children that God would give us, that we would teach them and train them and bring them up in the ways of the Lord. So that was a commitment that we made and something that we did. I feel like as parents, we did our part. So anything else is up to God to do. And so we just trust him that he will continue to work in their lives. As the scripture says, he that has began a good work will continue it. So we trust God for that. Amen. I appreciate the things that you're talking about. You know, you're talking about the importance of instilling a strong identity in your children. And that's what's from your chapter. You're talking about this. That's in your chapter and about communicating with our children and and creating an environment where they can come to us and talk and not shaming them or belittling them or making them feel like their voice isn't important to be heard or their opinion. So I really appreciate you bringing all of that up, that wisdom, because your, your chapter is about parenting. I loved that within the words that you wrote. And that's why that one paragraph I really wanted to share that so our listeners could get just a small taste of what your chapter is about. But with your life experience and where God has brought you today, what are two or three things that you can share with our listeners as they navigate their own journey of healing? I would say be honest, first of all, about where you are and seek out help if you need help, even if it's a confidant or or a friend, someone who you can talk to. And just be honest because that's so important. And I started off earlier by saying, I think as Christians, sometimes we put more pressure on ourselves because people expect us to perform or act in a certain way. And I actually had a friend tell me when my husband went to be with the Lord, she said, people are watching you to see how you grieve. And I understood that. And I know she probably meant it one way, but in my mind, I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to show people that it's okay to grieve, that it's okay to cry, that it's okay to say, I miss my loved one. I don't know what I'm going to do without them. And so I did take that opportunity to express those things and just to show people another side, I believe, of how Christians grieve and that it's okay to say, I miss them. It doesn't mean that I don't have hope that I'll see them again. And it doesn't mean that I feel lost or despair, but it just means that I lived with the person who I loved and was married to for nearly 30 years. And now he's gone and I'm going to miss him. Simple as that. And I think to be honest is the first thing I would say. And then if you feel like you need help, then seek out help even professional help. Don't be embarrassed by having to seek counseling if you feel like you need it. Kristen talked about the complicated grief. That can be serious. So if you're feeling that you're stuck in any one area of grief or phase and you can't seem to move forward, then definitely seek out some professional help. Uh, Maybe a pastor could help you or a women's ministry leader if you're a woman 
can help you, someone who can help you navigate. Because the truth is, when you lose a loved one, you enter a crisis mode and you do need someone to come along beside you who can help you. And what I found for me, and I've heard other women say this as well, is the fog, you know, the brain fog that you get. The the simple tasks that are simple things that you can't recall. And I had a, a friend some years prior to my experience tell me that happened to her. And I thought to myself, oh, that, that can't happen to me. I'm, I'm just, you know, that won't happen to me. But sure enough, it did. There was the exhaustion of just the small tasks that you have to do every day just to navigate. It can be difficult. So to be honest, and then to get help if you feel like you need help. Those are all great tips. So can you tell us about um, this new book and what led you to this work? Well, I had the opportunity to be a part of this work, and I'm so grateful and so appreciative and all the phenomenal women who are part of it as well. But I wanted to be a part of it because I felt as a mother, I had a voice that I could give to it and to help mothers who may be trying to navigate some of the same challenges that we face raising our daughters in non-Black communities, non-Black schools non-Black ballet, non-Black sports that they were involved in, and just how some of the things that we did to help them remain grounded in that process and to help them remain true to who they were and not be ashamed of who they were and to be able to integrate and to navigate those worlds. So I felt that I had something that I could offer other mothers that would be helpful to them. And to encourage them as well, to let them know that you're not alone, that there's other women who have done this and who are doing this, and you can do it too. And then I'm here. You know, if you need me, reach out. I'm always available to help, help you to maybe answer questions or whatever. But I felt that I had something to say. And so I'm so appreciative for the opportunity to be a part of this great project. Yeah, it is an amazing project. I haven't had a chance to read all of the stories, and I can't wait to get a physical copy in my hands. But it is a vital piece of wisdom of multiple stories, and for Black women and for women of all ethnic backgrounds, because we need to be supportive of one another. So it's helpful, as you said, you know, for the mothers. And I love how you spoke about the honesty of being in a non-Black community, in non-Black schools or ballet or sports, and the struggles that children are going through in that setting, and how to keep them on track and not to lose sight of their identity and to grow. And so I, I, I really appreciate that, you sharing that. So how can people connect with you online? How can they purchase your book? You have other books. Are those in print as well? I do have other books. And most of my writing has been geared toward women, just the empowerment and encouragement of women, helping them to step into their purpose, to fulfill their calling and to function in the areas that God has called them to. My books are available on my website, evelynjtaylor.org and also through Amazon or any online bookstores, they, they are for purchase. But that is what I do in ministry is empower, encourage, and equip women to win. So that has been the focus of my writing. 
So given this opportunity for the She Writes for Him Black Voices of Wisdom, it just seemed natural that I would write something that speaks to women, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that's, that's, what I, that's what I do. That's who I am. So I was grateful for that opportunity to do that. And, you know, like you said, to equip mothers, you know, this is how you walk through this journey if you're needing, because it's giving them an opportunity to actually be sitting in the room with you for a moment and getting some advice from your years of experience. And that's a valuable wisdom that we can all get. So I so appreciate, I wish we had another hour or two just to sit here and talk what a fascinating woman you are, what a life you have led. And I'm praying for you on this journey that you are on this new season of your life. And in that part of that grief, it's like we've walked out of one room and we're in the hallway and walking into another room and that doesn't happen like we said in six months. You know, it takes time. And my spiritual father, he passed away actually eight years ago yesterday on this day of recording. And, you know, to see my spiritual mom, you know, walking into the season. Um, but the first couple of years were were very difficult. And, and there are still moments, you know, eight years later, there are still plenty of moments where it just seems like yesterday he passed away. I can't believe it's been eight years. But just to for people to understand that grief in itself isn't a fast, quick thing that we get over and to extend grace to ourselves and love to ourselves in that journey. So I so appreciate it. I didn't expect that we were going to be talking about grief, but as you know, God leads and directs us and what to be talking about, as well as the message that you have for Black mothers and parenting their children. And I appreciate that. So thank you, Evelyn, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today, they can be found at my website at fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. I would appreciate it if you left a review or rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you could share this podcast with your friends and family, because friends, the truth is podcasts are spread by grassroots and it's by you sharing it with your friends. And that's how other people hear about all the podcasts that are out there. I would love to stay connected with you. And you can find me on Instagram or my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I hope that today's episode spoke life to you and encouraged you. As I mentioned, we talked about grief, but we also talked about being a mother, specifically a Black mother, parenting children. But the advice that Evelyn has is wisdom for everybody. And I so appreciate that. I appreciate her heart of empowering, encouraging, and equipping women. And I pray that there are many gold nuggets that you took away from this episode that we did today. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.